Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Vinny. I'm road to growth listeners and I guess profiteers uh, for listening today. We have Eric Rosenberg and Eric Rosenberg, financial writer and the people that follow him. He classifies as profiteers, so that's why the profiteers. Thank you, Eric, for for being on here. Thanks for having me. I'm so pumped now with that intro. I'm like, yeah, I'm ready to go conquer the day. Get excited! <laughs> there we go. I was listening to some motivational stuff in the morning. That's just that's part of my routine. Do you do you ever listen to like motivational videos or things like that? Um, I you know I get motivated by entrepreneurship. Really, that's my big motivator. So I go out and I read. You know, a lot of, you know, as a writer, I'm also a big reader. So I read a lot of yeah. stories, uh, people who built little businesses. Uh, lately, I've been into um, some videos from people doing FBA businesses, you know, fulfilled by Amazon stuff. Yeah. They're going and buying stuff at Walmart and flipping it for a profit. So I think that's pretty cool. Uh, but you know, really just any way people make money gets me excited. That's that's my hobby. I always joke is making money. <laughs> I mean, the, the, it is crazy that how much, how many ways they have out there. I had someone on my podcast that was, uh, was using, I mean, because there's so many different platforms you can buy products from, buy in bulk, and then resell them, make some money off it. Go to like yeah. Walmart, like you're saying. I think uh, I was listening to something Gary V was talking about, where you can buy like a, the dollar items, two dollar items, and resell them for like eight dollars. Yeah, Sunday. I mean that's even if you have to pay a couple dollars in fees there. I mean you're four or five xing your money. That's pretty darn cool. That's uh, that's an interesting investment. And hey, you know, there's like you said, there's a lot of cool ways to make money out there. I actually had a buddy who had a, his own brand. He was selling um, like men's shaving kits and stuff like that mm. on Amazon. And it was going really well, a five-figure monthly business. Uh, but the risk of putting your entire business on one platform that someone else owns is the entire business went away in a day. Uh, there was a, an issue where someone, I don't know all the details. There was someone said he might've ripped off the brand, which he didn't. It was his own brand. Mm. Uh, but people play dirty on Amazon to try to, Get to the top of the rankings, and he didn't have the resources to fight it. So, um, you know, there's downsides too, but it's a fun side hustle, you know, a fun way to make a few bucks. So, um, yeah, that's, I mean, it's been interesting lately. <laughs> yeah, I mean, find, finding ways. And, and as a financial writer, what do you mostly focus yourself on? Yeah, so I write mostly, I, I joke with clients, I'll write anything with a dollar sign. Uh, okay. So, I write, I do a lot of financial product reviews. So, I focus on, you know, best bank accounts, best credit cards, best investment accounts. Uh, lately, we have with the big boom in cryptocurrencies, uh, best crypto wallets and best cryptocurrency exchanges. Uh, so, it's fun. I get to explore all sides of the finance world, not just the, the boring mainstream stuffy investment bankers on Wall Street. But I get that, uh, that stuff too. I have a, a finance background, actually, as part of my MBA program. I managed a portion of the endowment fund at the University of Denver. Uh, so while I'm not out there, you know, working on Wall Street, I had a week there as part of my uh, as my class experience. Uh, I managed just like a Wall Street, you know, investment team would do. So I, I use that same strategy on my own money and get to share it a little bit with readers. What's your process like of doing the best of? I mean, that has to be, I mean, because. I, I know for myself, like when I'm looking, okay, I want to get a uh, underwater camera, right? Something that I can use out there. I'm going to take a trip to Hawaii and you go, okay, I have one I'm going to Okay. <laughs> a big mess behind me of electronics. <laughs> so, so, you, so you look and you look online and you start going down the rabbit hole. You go, oh, this has this, this has this, this has this. 
and you're like, oh, I could just go down here forever. Finally, I just tell myself, okay, this is the end of it. This is where I stop. This is what I'm going with. But for yourself, yeah. when you're breaking down every single, let's say, camera out there, how do you, what's your system like? Yeah. So um, kind of the fun thing is I get paid to do that work so you don't have to uh, yeah. when it comes to those financial products. And a couple of times I've gotten sent out into some different categories, like the best men's wallets. Um, so you do, as you said, have to come up with a real strategy and a system. Uh, yeah. Like if you're doing cameras, I can't just say, oh, well, I have you know a Canon and a GoPro. So those are the best because, you know, well, I did my research. That doesn't really mean they're the best. Uh, so let's say I'm doing, um, I'll just, I'll walk you through an example. A recent one I did was Bitcoin wallets, uh, just because yeah. it's a fun one. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying everyone should go buy Bitcoin. I have some, but uh, if, if it's your thing, you could get a little, but I wouldn't go overboard with crypto, but but it's a fun world. So, but let's say you're, you're new to it. You want to find the best Bitcoin wallet. So I'll start by casting a really wide net and try to capture all of the best Bitcoin wallets, which there's probably... I mean, now there's dozens, but uh, realistically, there's probably going to be uh, in any market, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 products that are really the top. And you'll see those are the brands everyone's writing about. I mean, if it's something obscure, like uh, I did best men's dress socks once, that was a funny one. So there's like a thousand sock brands. So saying what's really the best sock, that is, it does get to be kind of subjective at a point. I'm not really getting a chance to try on 200 different pairs of socks and you know go on a run wearing them all or go go to a wedding wearing them all or something <laughs> to try them out um, so that one you do have to look at a lot of reviews um, and a lot of you know, things like that just to see how other people's experiences are but regardless of the product i'm going to do that so you know bitcoin wallets again i'm gonna go look and i'll you know i'll go on google that, that's the first place everyone looks for things right and i'll probably find the top 20 competing articles writing about the best Bitcoin wallets. Because I figure among you know 20-ish articles, they've probably got the best ones. Um, so I'll go through there and, and try to check out everything they've written about, which can be a lot. Um, so I'll go through that list. And usually pretty quickly, you're able to chop off the bottom half um, and just say, you know, these ones are really standing out as the best ones. Uh, and that gets you to a list of you know, maybe um, 10 to 15 finalists when you're aiming. I'm usually aiming for about seven um, when I'm trying to do a best of list because more than that, it's not that helpful, right? <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to do the research for you. So I'll go through, um, get you know those top 15-ish, and then I'll start digging into the real details, um, you know, product quality. How's it going to stand up if it's a product or a service? How have people been happy with it? What are the average reviews? And I can't just look on you know, Amazon reviews because I know those can be gamed. So I'll look at Trustpilot. I'll look at the Better Business Bureau for complaints if it's a financial product. Uh, if it's, uh, I've written about investment brokerages, there I'll check FINRA. That's the, uh, the body that um, you know, kind of regulates uh, all the uh, financial industry in the US. So I'll look and see if you know, companies have been sued, if there are any like really bad things that, that would eliminate someone. Um, so then, you know, I'm, maybe I'm getting down to the top 10. And then I start to look at special features. What makes something really stand out and be special? Uh, because well, there's probably going to be one general best for everybody, uh, but it's not going to meet every single person's needs. So that's when we get into specific categories. Like with Bitcoin wallets, best for security. You know, people who care more about security 
are going to have very different needs than uh, someone who's brand new and just wants the easiest one to use. So that's where I start to get into categories and say, you know, this one may not be the best for everybody, but if you have this niche need, it's going to be the best at that. And that's how I'm able to get to around those top seven. I mean, I didn't realize, and I guess uh, I was uh, naive about it, that Amazon um, can be gained a little bit with yeah. their reviews. Yeah, so uh, it's it's interesting uh, how, how it works. If you really want to go down this rabbit hole, it's uh, it's a big it's a big world out there because we know Amazon is the number one place to buy anything online in the US. So they have what 30, 40% market share, some some insane percent of what we spend online is all Amazon. I mean, half the stuff in my house is probably from there. So uh, the companies that sell stuff know that and they want to rank their product the highest. There's a few different ways they try to game the system to do that. Uh, one way uh, that I've actually had happened to me was um, you get just a random product that shows up to your house from Amazon. It's called a ghost review product or a ghost product. So someone probably in China sent you that product and bought it under someone else's name. And that person then shows up as a verified purchaser on Amazon and they'll put in a five-star review even though they didn't get the product. Um, so that's one way to do it. Or sometimes they will reach out to... Uh, you know, influencers or people who are busy on Instagram and Twitter and places like that say, hey, will you buy this product? And if you give a five-star review, we'll reimburse you. Uh, so that's another way that they can get verified reviews. So Amazon knows about that stuff. And then there's also, you see people who just go on and write a review that it doesn't say product verified. So you don't even know if they really bought anything. Um, so they oh, could have wow. just hired you know, a hundred people in India to go on um, using a VPN. So it looked like they were in the U S and just go on and do five star reviews for the product a bunch of times. So if you go on and you see all of, a whole bunch of reviews within a couple days and then nothing else, it was probably some kind of a, an operation they did to uh, boost the scores. <laughs> well, this is noted. Now I need to reassess <laughs> when I buy things. I'll have to be checking out your platform for that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I always make you... a point to look at the four-star reviews and the mm. two-star reviews because okay. those are probably the most honest. So if you see a product with a ton of reviews, the person who gave it four stars probably really got it and yeah. prob really liked it but had a few issues, and they're going to probably be pretty honest. Same with the two-star. Okay. Uh, you know, one star, they might just be mad at the company or something, you know, they might have had a shipping problem, but a two yeah. star, they probably really got the product and it just disappointed them. So that's a, yeah. one way to filter out the uh, fake reviews also. Oh, well, it yeah. makes sense. Now, now yeah. hopefully everyone listening is going to be doing the same thing. You know, know we were going to be talking about that today, but hey, you never know where you're going to go. No, that's fun. No, I, I appreciate <laughs> it. Right, so, so walk us through. I mean, your journey. I mean, finances is usually something that people steer away from. I think most people, because it's it's a it's a, a pain point for them, right? It's like I'm just gonna work, I'm gonna work, get enough money, do what I want to do. But when you actually break down the numbers, it can be something they just want to walk away from. So why did you get into finances? Well, I've always been kind of a numbers guy. I've always been into uh, math. And when I was a kid, I was like a math science kid, which shocks me that I became a writer. If you'd ever told me, even in college, that I was going to be a writer for a living, I would have laughed at you. Like, no way I'm going to do that. Uh, but yes, yeah, so I was always a math kid. I always did well there. Uh, I also had a family that was just kind of a business family. I was lucky to have a grandpa. My grandpa Joe was a 
business school professor. He taught marketing at the University of Arkansas. Actually, funny you mentioned Walmart again. He actually knew Sam Walton. Uh, they oh, wow. sat together and picked scholarship winners for the University of Arkansas Business School uh, Walton Scholarship when it was new. So it was kind of cool. Uh, but my grandpa took me. He lived in Fayetteville, Arkansas, you know, little little city. And before we had computers at home, he would take me. I'd go you know, for a week in the summer to spend with my grandparents. And on weekdays, we'd drive downtown to the bank. And he'd pull up the computer terminal. It wasn't like a real computer like we have now. It was just a terminal with the black background and the green text. Like It looks like the Matrix. And he would type in ticker symbols to get the live stock prices. Mm. And uh, that was these were the days that the only time to get your stock prices was when you got your Wall Street Journal every day. So that was a day old. And my grandpa wanted current. So we'd go to the bank and he'd start quizzing me like, what's BBY? Oh, that's Best Buy. Uh, so I'd start learning ticker symbols and he'd start teaching me about what those little shares of stock all represented. And uh, then I was also lucky. My dad, uh, who passed away recently, I was sad to lose him, but he was uh, a great entrepreneur in his own right. Uh, he, I don't know if I'd say great, but he uh, was an entrepreneur in his own right. And I, I learned a lot from him. We owned a video store as a family. Um, that's why I say not great. We all know what happened to those. But uh, actually, if you go like my second or third blog post ever on my own site was Netflix versus the video store. Uh, so now it's just Netflix. It's been a while since I wrote that. But uh, having that experience growing up in a family business, I could hop on my bike and you know, 15 minutes later, I'd be at the store 20 minutes later. So I could go over, I'd help with you know, whatever my parents needed. I was I felt like I was part of the business, even though I didn't get paid much, uh, if ever. Uh, and my dad gave me a house, so I can't complain too much. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'd go help. I'd, one time my parents were out of town on a cruise. I think I was about 10. And my grandparents, my mom's parents were in town. And I said, Grandpa, you need to drive me over to the store because they just called and said the computers are broken. And the person my parents left in charge, the you know, 50, 60 year old adult didn't know what to do. So they called my house and there were no cell phones yet. My parents were out of reach. So uh, my grandpa drove me over and I remember digging through the desk, finding the business card of the company who built the network and calling at like three or two o'clock on a Friday saying, you guys need to get here today. I don't care what it costs. You have to fix the computer. Because uh, you know, Friday afternoon when you owned a video store in the 90s, that was busy. Um, so you got to get here before the weekend. And um, you know, I was this 10-year-old kid calling, yelling at these business people, like, get here. And uh, they did it. And I, I remember that day I spent like, 10 or 12 hours at the store. And when my parents got back from the cruise, I told my dad the whole story. He was super proud. And I said, you know, minimum wage is, you know, $6 an hour. I work 10 hours. I want $60 or something. I should have charged more, but he happily gave me $60. <laughs> what? Um, so you saw firsthand how an entrepreneur worked with the video store, with the father's business store. Mm -hmm. Did you have any interest of jumping in, being an entrepreneur off the back when you graduated college? Because I know you went to the corporate world. Yeah, so I always had an entrepreneurial bug, but I didn't ever really think that was the direction I was going to go with my career. In high school, college, I'd say, you know, a lot of people want to be on Sports Illustrated. I want to be on the cover of Fortune. That was always my goal. I wanted to be a Fortune 500 CEO. And I don't think that's a goal of mine anymore. They work way too hard. They have long hours, Fortune 500 CEOs. <laughs> but hats off to them. Um, they get paid well for it. Maybe a little too much. I don't know. But uh, they, they, that was what I wanted to do for a long time. Uh, cool. These days, you know, so what, I, what was funny 
Um, looking back, though, it was not shocking. I became an entrepreneur. Like looking back at Boy Scouts and Cub Scouts, I was uh, you know selling popcorn. You know, girls, girls sell cookies. Uh, boys sell popcorn. So I sold a lot of popcorn. And then and when I got to Boy Scouts, we could pay for our summer camp and our ski weekends. I grew up in Denver, so ski weekends uh, and camping trips through uh, book sales. And when I found that, I was like, well, well I got to pay for my camp, even though my parents, you know, they would have paid for it. They wouldn't have had a problem paying to send me to Boy Scout camp. But I was like, well, I can do this. And I was the years I'd really tried the number one seller in my troop uh, by, you know, two or three times over often uh, selling those books. So I'd pay for everything for the whole year in that like one or two months of selling books. Uh, and then you know, I had other little business ideas here and there. I tried. I remember those what would Jesus do bracelets uh, way back when I started a little business selling never eat yellow snow and EYS bracelets. I thought that'd be funny for snowboarders. That didn't take off. I lost a couple hundred bucks, but um, you know, learning, learning story. Uh, I have a lot of other little businesses along the way that I started online that didn't work out. Uh, but the thing that did, what ended up sending me on this real path started as a hobby. Uh, so I started blogging in uh, the summer of 2006. I was actually working at Boy Scout camp. I, I worked there for seven years after all those summers that I went as a camper. And my last summer, I was running the main office, and we had uh, satellite internet for the first time. So I was able to use my laptop I had for school um, when I wasn't you know, helping scoutmasters and you know, dealing with check-ins and radios and all that stuff. So on uh, my downtime, I got to sit, and I started a little blog, and uh, that was what ultimately led me a couple of years later to start another blog that became Personal Profitability. And that's, that's the brand I still run today with those profiteers you mentioned. So it started as a hobby. It started as a side hustle. Uh, I never really thought I'd be a full-time blogger when I started that. I thought it would be cool if I made a few bucks to you know, pay for my beer money or something, which in my 20s, you know, that's, a, that's a good goal, right? To cover your beer tab. Uh, but... Eventually, that grew to a point that it was covering my my rent, and then it grew, and I bought a condo, and it was covering my mortgage. And in 2016, I went full time, and it's been she about two weeks ago uh, was my five year anniversary of full time entrepreneurship. Were Were you uh, scared at all when you left your corporate job to be blogging full time? Oh yeah, I was terrified. <laughs> um, so when I quit my job, uh, I as I mentioned, it was five years ago. And at that point, I had a six-month-old daughter. She's now five and a half. And my mom, or my her mom, my wife, is a was a stay-at-home mom, and she still is. And I had a good salary, a good income. I was making probably, I don't know, double what the average person made in, in my city per year at that point. Um, so, you know, good income. Not quite six figures, but on the way. Uh, health insurance was huge, especially with the new daughter. I knew what it cost to have a kid with health insurance. So I was thinking, geez, what's this health insurance going to look like when I do it on my own and don't have help from work? Uh, but like any good responsible dad with a six-month-old daughter, I thought, well, this is the perfect time to quit my job and uh, sell my house and move to one of the most expensive parts of the country. So that's what we did. <laughs> and uh, yeah, <laughs> here we are. What What was, I mean, going through that decision, right? Because I mean, I've talked to a lot of people where that decision of transitioning from the safe zone to basically jump on your own and being your own boss, right? Some people, okay, I'm just going to do it. Other people have their three-year goal, four-year goal of actually transitioning out. What was that like for you? So, yeah, it was, it was a goal that 
it came and went. Like there were times that I always thought, oh, it'd be cool to do this full time. And I started going to a conference called FinCon. It's a financial blogging and media conference. It's awesome. I've been to all of them and I have a lot of good friends from there. And I started seeing them going full time. Like, Eric, you can do this. You can go full time. But you know, it's easier said than done, right? Especially when you have two people in addition to you and a mortgage uh, financially dependent. So to the night I gave my notice, I, I kind of freaked out. I was like, did I just make the biggest mistake of my entire life? And my wife was always really supportive. My mom was always really supportive. Interestingly, my dad said I was crazy to leave this job path that I'd worked so hard on. And my uncle uh, pretty much agreed with him. So I had two people saying, don't do this. Two people saying, you can absolutely do this. I'm um, so like the little devils and the little angels on the shoulder, except, um, you know, tell me what, what I should and shouldn't do with the business. Well, there were a couple of things that really were the catalyst for change. And actually, there's a great quote from the book, The Art of Nonconformity by Chris Gillibo that kind of describes this point that happened to me, but I think it really happens to everybody who goes through this transition. And the quote says, the opportunity either has to be so good that you're willing to throw away what you have right now to jump in and go for it, or what you have right now has to be so bad you're willing to risk everything to get out of it. And I was in a really good career position. I was respected by my coworkers. I was definitely not like, I got to get out of here. But there were days, uh, I remember one specific day, about a week before I gave my notice, I had to get to work um, before the sun came up and leave after sunset, which is not that crazy in Portland in the winter. But I had to leave for work before my daughter was up for the day. And I had got home after she was asleep. So the whole day, I didn't get to see my kid because of work. And I thought, well, that's not right. That's not, and I'm working for my family, not working to not see my family. Um, and there was no amount of money that would make it worth not seeing my kids. I have three kids now and they're, um, you know, my, my, uh, like, I hope other parents feel like the best thing in my life. Uh, they're amazing. So I want to see them all the time and having to, you know, if I have to go to a conference or a work trip for a few days, a week, whatever, I can do that. But having like full days, that I'm home and can't even see my kid. That's crazy. So uh, that, that was part of why I left my job. But I know a lot of people have that. You know, it's, it's um, you know, how do you leave that secure, stable safety net to go to something risky? Uh, and it's definitely not right for everybody. Uh, but I knew I had made 40000 on the side in revenue the year before. So I knew if I could do that revenue part-time, I could do at least that full-time, ideally double to triple which turned out to be you know, more than triple in the long run. Uh, but yeah, that was uh, a starting point. As I, I said, I knew I can do at least that. And I had some really good savings. And I have those two finance degrees. So I said to my wife, what's the worst thing that happens? I go find a job. Um, there are jobs out there. And uh, I, if, if my big failure is going out to find a good finance or accounting job that pays me close to six figures, then I guess, I guess that's okay if I fail at this. And it turned out I didn't fail at this. I, I did great. Uh, and it was not super easy in the beginning. The first few months, we, like I said, we moved to Southern California, <laughs> one of the most expensive parts of the world, uh, right as I quit my job. Uh, that, that put us closer to my in-laws, uh, which was a big motivator to have our kids grow up closer to family and this amazing weather. And we can't beat it. It's, uh, you can't, you just can't beat the weather here, but, um, 
the first couple months we had an apartment that cost you know, 2000 or something a month, which is you know, a huge amount of money, especially when you just quit your job and your income just went way down. So it was uh, definitely a, a stressful first few months. Uh, but what ended up really alleviating that stress it was I am um, with the strong finance background. I was staring at my QuickBooks. Um, I do all my own bookkeeping and accounting because I have that background. Uh, most people, um, I think, could do that, but it's not necessarily right for everyone to do their own. For me, it's good. So I was doing my books and doing my putting my financial analyst hat on. That's what I wore at work for a long time. And I noticed, looking at the screen here, I'm like pointing at the screen, pointing at the camera. <laughs> um, I noticed that about. 76% of my income, so about 80% of my income was coming from writing. And by my estimate, that was taking about 20% of my time. And I was doing web development work also. And I noticed that was pulling in about 15, 20% of my income, but taking you know 80, 90% of my time and giving me probably 95% of my stress. And anyone who's number savvy probably picked up a couple of averages in there, 80-20. Like that was the 80-20 rule. It pretty much hit me in the face. It was like, Eric, stop doing web development work. It is costing you too much. Do writing only. So it was scary. That was about three months after I quit the job. I was like, am I going to walk away from a whole business line? And I did. It was like kind of cutting off an arm of the business. I emailed all the clients and said, not doing this anymore after another month or so. And my income did dip a little bit that next month, but then it started to go up and it went up again and then it went up again and then it broke through 10,000 a month and it hardly has ever dipped back down. Um, it's That was really the, uh, the big success moment for me. After I quit the job, figuring out that 80-20 thing, uh, it really revolutionized how I was working. I, I got very focused on what was working best in my business and, and it grew. So, so that's my big advice is find what's working well in your business. You know, my story was not a straight line. I did not plan on doing this, but I saw something that was working and I focused on it and I did it again and again and again. And, and now I have this awesome lifestyle where I work at home. I, I work whenever I want. And as long as I get my deadlines met, my clients are happy. And, and you know, obviously quality is important, but this lets me uh, run run the lifestyle I want rather than have my work run my life. Did you ever think about uh, picking web design back up again, maybe looking at it in a different way of how you would do it with less time or charge more money or anything like that? I have thought about it. Uh, it's because I, I enjoyed it. Uh, there was a reason I started it. And I still do my own websites because you know, just like accounting because I can <laughs> and I know how. Um, though I do get to a point sometimes where I get stuck and pay someone to help fix some stuff. If they if I hit a, a coding point where I'm just stuck and I'm like, I don't want to spend six hours figuring this out. I'll pay somebody and they'll figure it out in 10 minutes. Uh, so there are times like that. But I've thought I could grow a scalable business where I hire other developers and programmers and designers, just like any other kind of business, right? You can um, take that service and kind of productize it and turn it into something you can sell. So whether it would be a higher rate or outsourcing, there would be ways I could get back into that. But with the success I've seen in writing, uh, I, I treat that as kind of like a shiny object. You know, it's attractive, but I need to keep my distance <laughs> so I don't uh, get distracted and harm the writing business that I've built. 
How, how does it work for the um, the writing? And you're working with a variety of different companies. Do you come up with a topic idea? Are they are they throwing the topic idea to you, and then you're saying yes or no, or how does that work? Uh, a mix of of what you just described, pretty much all those things. <laughs> so it uh, depends on the client. Uh, I have some clients who will come to me with a very specific topic and even an outline ready to go and SEO keywords and a few internal links to look at and include. Uh, so sometimes it's very specific. And I like that because then I know I'm delivering exactly what the client wants. Uh, sometimes they'll just say, here's a title. Can you write it and get it in by this date? Uh, I, you know, I like that too. It gives me freedom, flexibility. Some clients uh, send out an email once a month and say, these are the topics we're trying to cover this month. Do you have any ideas that are related to that? And I have a couple clients who say, you know, just send us ideas. Um, you know what we write about. But most usually have a pretty good idea of what they want or the regions of the internet they want covered uh, when I come in. What do you think or what kind of advice would you give? Let's say if someone's a, a writer, they're looking to grow their, their freelance writing platform, the best way of getting in front of these different uh, companies? Yeah, so that's a good question. And it's in the, the answer is evolving over time. Uh, right. Pre-COVID, I would say go to conferences. And that is really where I met most of my clients. So it's FinCon and similar events where I can sit down with the head of marketing or the head of content strategy at a fintech startup, we can sit and, and make a deal right there. And, um, or at least become buddies, then we'll hammer out the rest on the internet, you know, by email when we get home. So meeting and building relationships is a bit just critical to me. Uh, but you, most people aren't just gonna start by showing up at a conference they've never been to. So if you're really, if you're newer to it or you just really wanna get started and, and dabble in writing just to try it out, there are some good job boards online. There's places like Upwork and Fiverr, which they're uh, good good for very new writers. The thing there is you're also competing with people in India and the Philippines who are happy to work for you know $4 an hour. So uh, your rates might not be as good, but that can get you experience in a portfolio. So it might be worth it. I also tell people don't work for free. But in the beginning, if you work for crap rates, at least you can get paid to build a portfolio. So that, that'd be my advice is if you're really new, uh, it's okay to take a crappy client that doesn't pay that much as long as it's a relatively short-term deal and it'll make you look good or get you towards that goal. So as you build up that portfolio, eventually you get noticed, which is great. You know, I love it when companies email me and say, hey, I saw you wrote uh, you know, this article on nerd wallet or investopedia or wherever i write and, and then they hire me out of that which is great um, that's how some of my best clients find me now but in the beginning that wasn't happening so it was going to conferences networking a lot of outreach uh, but other job boards to consider if you're new while you're building that portfolio a uh, pro blogger has a job board that's pretty good i'm actually clicking right now i have a uh, list i put somewhere uh, if i can find it Sorry to keep you waiting. Awesome. Internet no, no. Here we go. Um, Freelancewritinggigs.com. That's another one. Uh, yeah, I said Fiverr. Yeah, so there's a few out there. If you just Google, you know, freelance writing gigs, you'll find some. No, I think that that's helpful. Yeah. I mean, any place. I mean, any any. Uh, uh, I mean, any places are going to be beneficial. Just getting out there, googling and finding it. And I, yeah. If you could, I know you've already given. I mean, insight into your transition from corporate world to being an entrepreneur, right? And it seems like it was really family-based, more time with your family, 
Right? Yeah, that was a big part of it. I wanted to control my schedule. I wanted it, to work when I wanted. If if you could give advice, maybe to a, maybe to yourself, maybe that 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 kid that graduated college, joined the corporate world. Is there any piece of advice you'd go back and give that person? I'd probably say don't be afraid to invest in the business a little earlier. I'm very conservative with my investing and a lot of things I do with my money. And part of that had me conservative with how I spent money in the business early on. So when personal profitability was brand new, it was narrowbridgeadventures.blogspot.com. You know, that cost zero dollars. I should have probably spent the, at that point, you know, $7 to buy a domain name. Now it costs $10, $12 to buy a domain. You know, I know people who have these blogs, they spend hours and hours a week on, like you won't spend $10 a year just to make it like yourwebsite.com. So don't yeah. be afraid to spend a little bit of money. I mean, don't go overboard. Don't go crazy. But you know, $100, if I'd put that in in the beginning, could have gotten me a domain name, hosting, but that it would have been less, probably been 50 or 60. You still could do it for about 50 or 60 if you want to do it really cheap. But just rounding, let's call it $100 a year to have all of your website hosting, all that stuff. Uh, it, that's something, if you're not willing to put $100 into your business, you probably shouldn't be starting it. <laughs> and I was uh, wanting to earn the $100 before I put it in. So mm -hmm. I said, I want to make $100 online and then use that to build the business. Where if I had, you know, I was I wasn't making you know a huge income right out of school, but I was doing well enough. I could have come up with a hundred dollars, or I could have come up with twelve dollars or sixty dollars to get a domain name and hosting. So uh, do that. You know, if if you want to be a podcaster, get your own dot com, get a microphone. Here's mine. Um, if you want to do video, you know, here's the camera. If you want to do FBA shipping. Get the scale and the tape if you want to do um you know if you want to be a masseuse you go to masseuse school you get a table you have to spend a little bit of money to get the right skills and knowledge in the starting toolkit uh, for whatever business it is you're trying to build you know real estate uh you, know, you, you need a real estate license you need to go to take some classes I mean, that takes money that takes time but if you really want to be a real estate agent uh i I mean, not only do you have to do that by law, uh, but I'd say that's probably a very useful investment of your time and money because you learn so much good stuff about how to be a real estate agent. You know, that's your tools, your your knowledge, um, your skill set. So, um, you know, that that's the way I that, that's how I, what I tell myself. You know, don't be afraid to spend a little money uh, to start out. You know, don't go overboard, but don't uh, don't be too afraid because it'll you know it's an investment invest in yourself now it makes sense i mean take that jump take that risk um but it's a, a calculated risk now if someone's looking to find the right product for their business right because i know you have a lot of different platforms out there where you're doing research on maybe someone wants to become a, a profiteer right and join your 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 family your network what's the best way of them following you connecting with you what's the best way Eric? Sure. Yeah. So the easiest way to just connect with me, if you have any questions, want to say hello is on Twitter. I'm Eric profits there, but if you want to dive in you're you like what I had to say and you're excited, I have a freebie to give you. If you go to Eric dot money slash bootcamp, 
or personalprofitability.com slash bootcamp. I just like being able to say eric.money slash bootcamp. That's a new thing I set up. You know, because I was invested in my business, you know, 40 bucks a year or whatever to get eric.money. So uh, eric.money slash bootcamp. There's a free week long course there. Uh, you get, uh, you just drop in your email and you'll get a, a message every morning for a week with a link to a video. They're about 10 minutes long to start you on your path to personal profitability. Uh, like I said, I'm not selling anything there, just uh, a free course. So I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you, Eric, for, for being on the platform. Thank you for everyone listening uh, to the Roads of Growth. And hopefully you got some great nuggets there. I mean, uh, there's a, a lot of stuff Eric brought up that maybe changed the way that I'm looking at reviews and things like that, even though <laughs> I, I know it in some sectors and I should have just... I guess not been as gullible or naive with other sectors, but yeah, be aware of what you're reading. Maybe look at the two to four star reviews a little more. Uh, but thank you again, Eric, for being on the podcast. Please subscribe, please share everyone and uh, tell your friends. Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.